you. Good morning. It's um, a bright sunny morning in the southern suburbs. One week away from Christmas. Hey? And I know that many of you guys are probably tired as the year draws to an end and you guys have worked hard and it's that feeling of just like, and I was just, as we were worshiping, I just had a sense of, you know, one moment in the presence of God will refresh you, revive you, restore you, will turn you on your head and upside down. <laughs> hey, how amazing is that? Like, I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but a moment with the king will change you and transform you. Like, oh man, God's good, eh? God's good. And I hope this morning as I share what I, what, what I feel the Lord's laid on my heart is that we have a glimpse of Jesus and that glimpse of Jesus fuels our hope, fuels our rest, restores us, fuels our energy because when we gaze upon him, all the things of the world, everything becomes nothing, nothing actually. All these cares that we carry, but when we focus on him and when we see him, everything else dwindles. So I pray this morning, just as I share with us, that we actually have a glimpse of him. We see him and we're encouraged by him. And um, we're obviously at Christmas time, and, and uh, Christmas time is a lot about gifts, right? It's not really meant to be about gifts, but let's be honest, you guys give gifts and you get gifts, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the reality, why do we give gifts? What does it, what does it represent, actually? It's, bec- it's because we got a gift. We got the greatest gift of all. And in Isaiah, it says, for unto us a child is born. That child is Jesus. That child is the gift. That child, when he was fully grown, the life that he had lived when he died on the cross, gave us this eternal gift, the ultimate gift, actually. And I, and I hope this morning as we, as we unpack a little bit of that, I love jumping into the Old Testament to find Jesus. Hey? Yeah, it's my favorite thing to do is we jump in because Jesus is right throughout the Old Testament in everything. Like I, I just see him more and more and more and more. I was sitting in the prayer meeting earlier and I was just thinking there was something I'll share with you guys just now. Just bing, the light went on. I was like, oh, there it is. He's there. And I don't know whether it's like theologically like yo, yo, but whatever. I see Jesus in every single word in the Old Testament. And I want to share a little bit of that with us because I think when we see him in the Old Testament, it gives us revelation, it, it energizes, it fuels him, and, when we ke- and, and it helps keep our focus and our, give, and our, and our, and our, our eyes on him. Sorry, I actually didn't press that. <laughs> I could go on forever because I'm excited. I love him. So that gift of salvation, and some of you, look, I know most of you guys here, but somebody here might be going, salvation, salvation from what? Like, I don't need sal- saving. I'm pretty good. Like, life's good. Things are going well. I don't know really what you're talking about. The reality is every single one of us, no matter how good your circumstance, your situation is, your temporal situation is, we all need saving. We all need that salvation because the reality is that we have been born into a terminal state of sin. And without Jesus, without that salvation, we're hopeless. But in Jesus, there's hope. And hope. I'm hoping this morning maybe, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know that. And that, as I share, you begin to realize you need that. And actually, you begin to respond to that. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. So as I'm sharing, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit's working in your heart right now. So maybe even before I carry on, let's just pray. Let's pray. 
Holy Spirit, won't you come and, and um, take the words that I share, Lord, and work through them, Lord Jesus. If I fo- even if I fall over my words, I know, Lord, that you're bigger than that, that you can come and you can do a mighty work in people's hearts. And if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you, cannot see you, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, that the veil would be lifted, Lord, that they would come to have a revelation of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he did for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So that condition that we're in, there's a reason we're in it, and that's because many, many years ago, right at the beginning, when Jesus created, when God created man, Adam and Eve, in the garden, they sinned. They fell short. And because of that moment, remember that moment, I'm speaking about it now, because of that moment with Adam and Eve's sin, man is born into the state of sin. We're actually born into condemnation. Until we step into the righteousness of Christ, we're actually living in that condemnation. So you, there needs to be an understanding of that. And if you're wondering why, saving from what, you need to understand that that's what you need to be saved from. But I want to go, I want to I take a little bit, like I said, I want to jump into some of the Old Testament and uh, have a look there. I want to have a look at the person Joshua. You all know Joshua, right? Who doesn't know Joshua? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> there's a couple of Joshua's here. So Joshua, I love Joshua. And the more I've been, I've I, I just been meditating on him and pondering him, the more I see the story of Jesus in the story of Joshua. Do you know that Joshua is a type of Jesus? I don't know if, I mean, maybe you know that already. Maybe you've realized it already. But Joshua, even the name Joshua actually, Jesus What's it? How does it go? J- uh, Joshua, Yeshua. You know, the, you know, a lot of the the, the, the um, Hebrew word for Jesus is your name for Jesus, Yeshua. And Yeshua, translated into English, is actually Joshua. It's, inter- it's interesting. There's a, there's even a name, a, li- a likeness in the name. But um, what I want to do is I want to have a look at how uh, the the story of Joshua and what he does, the way he leads the people into the promised land, what that looks like. And how Jesus leads us into the promise. Because there's something beautiful in this. And um, um, you all know that Moses was, was the one that represented the law. He brought the law, the Ten Commandments. You guys know that? And uh, Sorry. And uh, so Moses represents the law, the law of God. right? And quite interestingly for me, in, in, in Deuteronomy 34, it tells us about the death of Moses. You do know that Moses was not able to enter into the promised land because of he struck the rock when he was meant to speak to it, actually. God said to him and Aaron, you will not enter the promised land. You will actually die in the wilderness. But just before Moses dies, God takes him up onto Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo, I've actually, actually been there. It's, op- it's just over the Jordan, on the outside the promised land. It's just over the Jordan. And from the top of Mount Nebo, you can look into the promised land. You can actually look and see everything that God was going to give his people. So there's this amazing picture here of God taking Moses up the mountain, Moses representing the law, and saying to Moses, Moses, look at what I'm going to give the people. And then Moses dies. There's a picture there. I don't know if you can see it. The law can never inherit the promise. You see that? The law cannot enter into the promise. It cannot cross the River Jordan, actually. 
And then we see Joshua, the next leader. Now, this is quite interesting. This is what happened to me when I was standing upstairs. Uh, when I was praying upstairs. What happens is the people then go into mourning for 30 days. Okay? And interestingly enough, I was just, for 30 days, I couldn't think of, why 30 days, Lord? Because what I had thought already is, as we read in, in, um, in Joshua 3, uh, the story of Joshua and the people of Israel crossing the Jordan, they camp along the side of the river for three days before they cross the river. But before they're camping along the river, for 30 days they mourn Moses. Now, if, if Joshua is a type of Jesus, I'm thinking to myself, 30 days, what is 30? Then it clicked, it dawned on me. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry, and he died when he was 33. 30 plus, I'm sorry, I'm just like, I'm finding him in everything here. I'm saying, okay, hang on a second. There's a Jesus, at the moment Moses dies, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a shift, a change. There's a Jesus gets born, 30 years he lives his life, that perfect life. That three days for me initially, I was thinking Jesus is in the tomb for th- three days. But now I'm seeing something else. I'm seeing Jesus was 33 when he actually died on the cross. And there's, th- there's this, there's just this parallel, this correlation of, of the scriptures, how they echoed in the new. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is beautiful. This is just telling us the story. And then we see, we see Joshua. Um, he tells everybody, the whole tribe of, or the whole nation of Israel, he goes through the camps and he says, ready yourselves, we're going to cross the Jordan, okay, after they've been camped there for three days now. And uh, let me maybe just read some of that from Joshua 3, verse 3. Sorry, Joshua 3, verses uh, 2. It says, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp. Okay, that's the three days. Then, all the way down at verse 16, I want to just hang around there for a little bit. So you know what happens? Is they gather the ark. They send the ark ahead of the people. The, the, the priest walk into the river. And what happens? Parts. Same way, actually, the Red Sea does, right? It's a little bit, little bit different, but it's the same way the Red Sea parts. Now, it's interesting. Even Moses is a picture of Jesus taking the people out of captivity and into, a, he's, he's aiming them at a promised land. He takes them through baptism. There's a picture of, G, of Moses being a, sal, a savior. He's a type of savior as well. But here's, here's Joshua now, standing before the, before the River Jordan, ready to walk into the promise that God has actually given him. And what happens is, is um, I want to, sorry, I just want to get my order right of, of, of things here. That picture of crossing the Red Sea, oh, it's referred, Paul refers back to it as a picture of baptism. You guys know that. The same thing is actually the Jordan. The Jordan is a picture of baptism as well. Now, what does Jesus, uh, Peter says in Acts 2 when he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says, they ask him, what do we need to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. There's something of the, act, the, the action actually of this whole thing folding out, which is echoing the Spirit, which is echoing what's going to happen when Jesus dies on the cross, what, what actually happens in salvation, that moment, and in our obedience. So Joshua gathers everybody. He sends the priests into the water, and they walk into the water. And as their feet touch the water, the water, this is verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At Adam. I don't know if anybody's ever t- seen this before or ever taken note of this. 
Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those following down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, this is like, it's, it's, bizarre, it's bizarre, right? It's like there's a town all the way upstream from, the, from where they cross the river, and that town's called Adam, okay? The waters stop at Adam. What happens? Now, I want to ask you guys this question. So what's preventing them from entering in the promised land? The, the water, right? The River Jordan. What's preventing us from entering into, the, entering into a promise, the promise, eternity with Jesus? Sin. How did they overcome the waters? They believed in Joshua. Joshua spoke. He said, the Lord has spoken to me. This is what he did. They put their belief in Joshua, and they followed him. How do we overcome sin? Put our belief in Jesus. What happens when we put our belief in Jesus? He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He removes our sin all the way back to Adam. How incredibly beautiful is that picture? Like, I don't know, like for me, when I, when I just meditate on this in the altars, I get excited because I'm like, man, God, you were thinking in the, like in the smallest of details. You were there. And you... 1,300 years later, when Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, he actually does that very, very same thing. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You see, it's that picture of the ark going into the water. It's God himself. That's the presence of God. And it's God himself that dries up the water all the way to Adam. And in the same way, through Jesus, it's God himself that removes our sin from us, that dries, that actually cancels that out for us. <laughs> so I'm busy, I'm busy meditating on this. I'm busy reading this. And the, the, you know the story, what I've just explained to you guys now, the, the scriptures, John, I'm uh, sorry, it's Joshua 3, verse 16. Now, how's this? Now, you know what I'm about to say. What does John 3, 16 say? Eh? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He, John 3.16 is telling the story of what's happening in Joshua 3.16, actually. The practicality of the Israelites standing on the, edge of that, standing on the edge of that Jordan, not crossing over yet into the promised land, and how to do, how to do it, by believing in Joshua, by following. He, he's saying that, I've sent a son. His name is Jesus. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And I'm just going, Lord, you are everywhere. You are all over Scripture. I just got, I'm sorry, I just got excited when I saw that. <laughs> I just got so excited when I saw that. Because there's something, there's a richness and a beauty in Scripture. When we meditate on it, when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, I don't know how many of you spend time in the Old Testament and you look for Jesus. Do you, I don't, do, you do that? I just, just look. Just look for him. The rock that gets struck in the desert. Who's that rock? It's Jesus. He talks about it. Paul talks about it in the New Testament. It's like, what comes from that rock? It's waters of living. It's, it's, it's waters of life. It's Jesus. And it's just this constant correlation. And I'm hoping this morning as we just 
spend a little bit of time there as we see these things, we actually catch a glimpse of Jesus everywhere because he's our hope. Without him, we don't have hope. Without him, we're tired. Without him, we're exhausted. Without him, we've got no energy. But in him, we've got everything. Amen? Amen. So, this is the magnitude of the gift of us believing in Jesus. This is how big it is. This is, the, like I said at the beginning, it's this ultimate gift. But I want to, maybe let's fast forward about 1,300 years. <laughs> Just quickly. <clears throat> right around to the time and the night that Jesus was born. And um, there's no coincidence. Who does he first appear to? He comes to the shepherds. And uh, there's a very, like, the angels appear to the shepherds and they tell them that uh, uh, the, the Savior has been born, right? And the interesting thing, we often just kind of brush over that and we think, hey, these are just normal shepherds. They're not just normal shepherds, actually. It's, and I'll, I'll tell you why they're not just normal shepherds. So at that time, actually, flocks, sheep, flocks of sheep weren't allowed to be close to, to, to the cities or close to the towns. There was a specific area for them to be pastured, and that was actually in the wilderness. There weren't, there was a specific wilderness area. The only flocks that were allowed to be close by were those that were for temple use. Now that's quite significant actually. It means that the shepherds that those that the angels came to were not just any shepherds. It was around about the time of Passover. And what happened at Passover? Many sacrifices happened. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb. So these lambs were and sh- this flock was a Passover flock. The sheep, there, those ba- the lambs were Passover lambs. Those shepherds were, doing, were actually doing temple duties. Interestingly enough, and not anybody can do temple duties. Only those of the priestly order can do temple duties. So those shepherds weren't just shepherds. They were of the priestly order. There's, so like, do you under- there's something in this. And the, sh- and, the, and the angel decides to come to, or comes to them first. Now, these are shepherds or priests that are trained to look for blemish. They're trained to look at the, like, you think about this, sorry, I'm just actually getting emotional thinking about it. They were trained to look for fault. They were trained to look after the Passover lambs and, and, and expect it. They knew what to be looking for. Do you think it's coincidence that the angels came to them and said, for unto you a child has been born? It's, it's, it's inc- absolutely incredible. That area, there's a, there's a, there's a um, prophecy in Micah, and this is debatable theology, but it's just, I love it. So you can make some other theories around it. But there is a theory that in Micah, the scripture is this. It says, and you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship from the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, what they're talking about actually is salvation, and a king will come to you. Tower of the flock. You know what the tower of the flock was called? Migdal Eda. Actually, that's what I think it's translated to into, into Hebrew. And that is actually believed to be that exact same place just outside of Beth- Bethlehem where the angels appeared to those shepherds. Like, can you see Scripture being fulfilled? Can you see Scripture being unfolded before these guys? These guys knew what they were looking for. 
They knew the scripture. They knew the scriptures way better than we do. They've been schooled from in the Torah and in the Old Testament from from a young age. They knew the scriptures backwards, and they knew that when when the angel appeared and what he said, what he was actually saying. It's like it's just fascinating for me the little bits, the details that get woven together right throughout scripture. I mean, it just makes it so much so real. And interestingly enough, that that uh, this <laughs> that Migdal Eder, that tower of the flock, would be a tower that the shepherd, one of the shepherds, would go and sit up in, and he would be able to watch over the flock, where the other shepherds would be on the ground around by that flock. And what does it say in Luke twenty-one? Uh, sorry, Luke two verses eight. And the shepherds living out in the field nearby kept watch over their flocks. It's interesting, even just that little word "over," like over. They're up, looking down, over their flocks. And how these little things get twined and twisted or, or, or threaded together. And then we know what happened. The shepherds go, and they go and see Jesus. And they see him dressed, or they see him dressed in swaddling cloth. And I was spending a little bit of time in that. And for me, swaddling cloth had just always been cloth, like normal cloth. But it actually isn't. It's a little bit more than just that. It actually, only wealthy people would be able to wrap their children in swaddling cloth. It wasn't rags. Um, and there's no ways that Mary and Joseph could have afforded this. So interestingly enough, they, they, what they, one of the theories are, I'm giving you guys lots of theories, because they all point to Jesus, so it's cool. <laughs> one of the theories is that actually in the temple, they use swaddling cloth to keep those newborn lambs clean and free from blemish. So those shepherds, when they saw that swaddling cloth, they knew exactly what they were looking at. Interesting that, eh? Now, how would, how would they have come by swaddling cloth, Mary and Joseph? Remember Mary's cousin Elizabeth? <laughs> Guys, this is just, remember Mary's cousin Elizabeth? She was married to Zechariah. Who was Zechariah? He was a priest. Mary and Elizabeth spent time together. And one of the, again, this is just a theory that it was actually a kind of a, a baby shower gift to her. These swaddling cloths from the temple. How crazy, amazing is that? Okay, Margaret's going, no, no, no. I'm just, I love this because I see that, like, when you, when you let, when you jump into the rabbit holes of things that point towards Jesus, it's just amazing. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is the gospel truth. But what I am saying is Jesus is in every part of Scripture. He's foretold from the beginning. He is unveiled in the new. He's concealed in the old. But he's there. And we've got to be looking for him. Because when we see him, when we reveal, when we see Jesus, we come away. How did the shepherds come away after they'd seen him? They came away glorifying and praising God. Because they had seen the gift. They had seen Jesus. And for us, I hope that as we look for him, as we see him, we can come away glorifying. We can come away just in this place of just elation because he is the biggest gift that we'll ever get. So maybe I, I want to, this morning, just as I've shared these things with you, as they had seen the gift, I want to ask you, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? Have you looked for him? And do you understand, as I was sharing earlier just about salvation and what we need to be saved from, that there's nothing that you can do 
earn your place in heaven. We, we often, you know, I know people have this understanding sometimes. You go, well, I'm born into a Christian family, and we think we're born a Christian. <laughs> you ever heard that? No, I was, I, I'm a Christian. I was, I was born into a Christian family. I just became a Christian. But the reality is you don't get born a Christian. You become a born-again Christian, a reborn Christian, but you don't get born a Christian. There comes a moment where you've got to make a choice. It's like if you get born into a, if you get born in a garage, does that make you a car? No, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> you can try as hard as you want, but it's not going to work. <clears throat> but there comes a moment where you've got to actually make a choice. You've got to choose for yourself to follow him. In the same way the Israelites chose to follow Joshua into the promised land, you've got to choose to follow Jesus into the promise. In the same way that they were standing on the bank, wondering what was going to happen, that next step, but it was a step of faith as they walked into the promised land. Choosing to follow Jesus is a step of faith. The Bible says we cannot please him without faith. And that step of going, yes, Lord, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. And this morning, I don't know if any, I don't know everybody here this morning, and I don't know if everybody knows Jesus. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to confess with your mouth. You may now be believing in your heart. I may have convinced you, <laughs> or, the, or the Holy Spirit may have convinced you. But you may have never actually had the opportunity to go, actually, I want to confess with my mouth. Because the Bible does say, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And the purpose of, of Jesus being born and Jesus dying on the cross is so that you can be saved. Let us not, let us not treat that lightly. Let us not just look over those things quickly. 